I try not to use too many sermon examples that involve airplanes or math, but sometimes I can't help myself. So you're going to have to deal with an airplane sermon today. Um, I first started flying airplanes when I was 14, and the first time I landed all by myself without anybody else in the airplane uh, was three days after my 16th birthday. And we were up in the air, uh, I was with my instructor, and we were flying around, and we landed the airplane a few times, and then the instructor told me, he said, all right, this time I want you to just go ahead and bring the airplane to a complete stop on the runway for me. I said, okay, sure. So, you know, landed the airplane, stopped the airplane, and the next thing I know, he unbuckled his seatbelt and hopped out. And he looked at me and said, go take it up for a few times. Okay, I guess we're doing this. And I, I, I landed the airplane, you know, three times by myself and came back and parked it and was excited. It was a lot of fun. Since that time, I have landed the airplane, I, I was looking in my logbook the other day, more than 500 times uh, since that time. And what I want to tell you is that I do not have it perfected yet. And I probably never will. You see, no matter how many times you try, you can always grow. That's sort of how Christ's likeness is. When we first accept Christ as our Savior, when we first recognize that Jesus died on the cross and paid for our sins because we could never do anything ourselves to earn it, when we first recognize that, it's like our first solo landing. We've hit this point where we have been sanctified, set apart for God. But then God tells us, you haven't arrived yet. Keep growing. And time and time and time again, God tells us, grow. Keep growing. Do this. Work on this. Work in this area. Keep growing to be more like Christ. You see, in the Christian walk, we must never give up on Christ-likeness. We must continue to pursue it, to perfect it, to get closer and closer to that perfect landing. Christ-likeness is unattainable in this, life, in this lifetime. But it's worth pursuit. And in order to pursue Christ-likeness, what we want to see, what we need to do, is to work on the foundations and never forget about love. So you can turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We've been studying the book of 1 Thessalonians throughout the month of November. And I want to remind you of the stage a little bit. The Apostle Paul wrote the book of 1 Thessalonians to the church in Thessalonica. He had been essentially kicked out of the city, but the church continued to thrive, and he sent Timothy back to the city to look and see how the church was doing. Timothy came back to Paul and said, the church is doing great. They are growing. They love each other. They love the gospel. They're following your words. And to that, Paul wrote the book of 1 Thessalonians as a book of gratitude and a book of instruction. It's interesting because the location where Paul probably was at when he wrote the book of 1 Thessalonians was the city of Corinth. Corinth was a town or a city of significant problems. It was a port city. And as people came in, they brought their problems with them. The people in the city thrived on these problems. It was known as a city of promiscuity and low morals. So the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Thessalonica from a city that has significant morality problems. And that's going to frame what we read in chapter 4. If you read the book of 1 Corinthians, 
it is kind of a harsh book. There's a lot of, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, stop doing this, stop doing this. That's the book of 1 Corinthians. The book of 1 Thessalonians is a lot of keep doing this, keep growing, continue to thrive. And I think what Paul is probably has in his mind as he writes is he's watching a city of decadence and thinking, I need to tell the Thessalonians how to live so they don't fall into that sort of low morality. And so he's concerned that they continue to grow in faithfulness. And that brings us to our memory verse of the month, which is 1 Thessalonians 1-2. Recite this with me. 1 Thessalonians 1-2. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. 1 Thessalonians 1-2. Paul was thankful for a church that was holding true to the gospel. So let's read starting in chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 1 through 12. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It's God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that you each should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, Anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Now, about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more, and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. The first thing that I want you to see in this passage is that perfect Christ-likeness is unattainable in this life, but worth pursuit. Perfect Christ-likeness is unattainable, but it's worth pursuing. Paul starts off by telling the Thessalonians that it is possible to live a life, to live in a way that is pleasing to God. It's possible to live in a way that's pleasing to God. In fact, the Thessalonians were doing it. He says, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. They were living in a way that brought joy to God, that was pleasing to God. We should not view the Christian life as a set of rules and prohibitions, but rather as a way to please God. Christian life that pleases God is the natural result of obedience. The natural result of living the way God has called us to, of following the foundations. There's a number of you who play various sports or who have played various sports 
And I was thinking about the role of foundations in sports. So you're playing a game of soccer, and there are some foundations. Now, when you play soccer, you don't play to play the foundations, right? That's not your purpose, is not to play the foundations. Your purpose is to win the game. How do you do that? By using the foundations. If your foundations aren't there, you're going to lose. But you're not playing for the purpose of playing the foundations. The foundations are there to support you. That's how the Christian life is. We don't obey God for the sole purpose of obedience. We obey God because that pleases God. It brings him joy. It is honoring to him. Does that make sense? It's sort of like trying to play a soccer game. You play to win the game. You better do the foundations or you're going to lose. That's how life is with God. We follow God. We live in order to please him. The second half of verse 1 Paul says, now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. Yes, you're living in a way that pleases God, but don't stop. Don't say, I've got this. Do it more and more. Just like when you're playing a sport, you practice the foundations, even after you've mastered them. Even professional athletes still work on the foundations. Do it more and more. Build that skill up. It's possible to grow in the way we please God. So yes, we are pleasing God in the way we live, but you can grow to please him more and more. Um, Paul cites Christ here. He says, in the Lord, there at the end, now we ask you and urge you in the Lord. This isn't my command. This isn't Paul's command to you. It's Christ's command. Grow to please God. Christ wants you to grow to please God. We'll talk about that a little bit more. Paul continues on and he says, you've been given the instructions on how to do this. This isn't something you don't know how to do. You know how to grow to please God. What was Paul's answer? You know what instructions we gave you. Paul told the Thessalonians, you know how to do this because we told you how to do it. Now, the Apostle Paul has not come and preached in our church. So we don't have his oral instructions, but we do have his written instructions. 1 Corinthians 13 says that when that which is complete comes, what is partial will pass away. Uh, the complete is the word of God. The partial was the oral instruction of the apostles. We have the complete word of God. We know how to follow God. We know how to please God. We know how to grow in Christ-likeness. In fact, Hebrews 4.12 tells us that the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The word of God is the sword that tells us how to live to please Christ. We need to grow in Christ-likeness. I told you about the first time that I landed by myself. Um, I continued to practice landings. That's probably the most common thing that uh, most pilots do is when they're by themselves is they go practice landings. And, the, and you go and you practice flying those airspeeds. If you want to land an airplane, you fly the right speed. That's the foundation. And you look it up in the book. That's how you get good at it. So let me give you an action step. Study the instructions. 
study the instructions, live life, evaluate, and repeat. It's really quite simple on how to grow in Christ-likeness. Study the instructions. Go out and live it. Reflect. Say, did I operate in a Christ-like manner? Hmm, I need to grow in this area. And repeat. Go back and study the instructions. Reflect. Evaluate. Keep repeating over and over and over. Grow in Christ-likeness. Moving on in verses 3 through 8, Paul tells us that the foundations of Christ-likeness are worthy of review. And the way he does this is by reviewing one of the foundations of Christ-likeness. The foundations of Christ-likeness are worth reviewing. Paul gives us one here. What he tells us is that God desires for each individual to set themselves apart for him. That's verse 3. It's God's will that you should be sanctified. Have you ever had a major decision to make and ask the question, I wonder what God's will is for me? I want to tell you the answer to that question. It's actually really simple. God's will is for you to be sanctified. And you tell me, well, that doesn't answer my question of whether I should do this or not. Okay? It may or may not. God's will for your life is for you to be set apart for him. That's God's will for your life. It's really very simple. Now, how do you make decisions? Prayer and asking whether or not that would help you grow, whether or not that would help you be set apart for God. But God's will for your life, it's real simple right here in verse three. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. God wants you to be set apart for him. And God's willing to work with you to get you there. When you think about will, what is your will? You could think of it as what your desire is. You could think of it as as what you want to happen. God's will is that you will grow to be more like him, being set apart for him. To be set apart, to be holy. The word sanctified there means to set apart unto holiness. And the idea of holiness is God himself. You could ask me, well, what does it mean to be holy? My answer is, first of all, you need to read the Bible. Okay? And then as you read the Bible, you need to understand holiness is the characteristic of God. So Leviticus 20, verse 26, tells us you are holy. You are to be holy because I, the Lord, am holy. Be like God in his holiness. 1 Peter 1, 16 says, For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Ephesians 5.1, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. God's will for your life is for you to set yourself apart for him, to act like God, to become like God in your holiness. Now, I don't mean become like God in your power. I don't mean become like God in your authority. Don't take it too far. To become like God in holiness to set yourself apart for God, to become more and more like Christ. God's will is for you to be like Christ. So you say, all right, well, how do I be like Christ? And that's what comes next in verses three, second half of three, all the way through six. Christ's likeness demands self-control. And this is key to being holy, is self-control. 
Paul starts off with the heavy cannons, that you should avoid sexual immorality. All right, this is a loaded term. We're going to dive into it. What is sexual immorality? The word here is porneia in the Greek. Porneia is a reference to any sexual activity outside of God-ordained marriage between a man and a woman. Okay? God's will is that you avoid sexual immorality. This means adultery, off-limits. Pornography, off-limits. Premarital sex, off-limits. Homosexuality, off-limits. God's will is for us to set ourselves apart. In fact, he goes on, and he talks about, uh, moving forward, not with passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. Yes, the rest of the world is off the rails when it comes to this. And Paul says they're off the rails. Don't follow their way of doing things. Exercise self-control. So that's the first concept. Abstain from sexual immorality. The second concept is learn to control your body there in verse 4 at the beginning of it. That each of you should learn to control your own body. This is interesting because we live in a fallen world. We ourselves are fallen. Your body is going to tell you that it needs things that it doesn't actually need. In this case, it's sexual immorality. It might be other things. It might be drugs. It might be alcohol. It might be money, any other things. Paul says, learn to control your body. The sexual revolution of the 1960s, where it says, pursue exactly what your body wants, is completely anti-biblical. God's rule, God's will, is for you to learn to control yourself. Concept three in this little short passage is make sure that your desires and your actions are completely otherish. Paul goes on and he explains there in verse 6, and that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. As we seek to exercise God's will in our life, God's will is for us to be focused on others, which means that we're not trying to consume things for our own lustful passions, but rather we're making sure that we're not taking advantage of others. Finally, in verse 6b, Paul tells us, God holds you accountable to this standard. God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. He calls us to purity. In fact, that's, that's the whole third point I have in verses 7 and 8. The foundations are important because they're fundamental to our calling. God has called us to pure living. The foundation that Paul has given us is the test case here, is sexual immorality, but we could apply it to other things as well, whether it be drugs, alcohol, money, um, power, anything else you want to apply it to. It applies. God's standard is for you to be more like Christ, to follow the foundations. There was a day I forgot the foundations. It was actually shortly after I landed the first, the first time by myself, um, we flew up to Cheyenne, to the military base up there, 
to practice some landings with the control tower because I had learned to land the airplane well. And it was time to learn how to do it at a, an airport that was a little more complicated. And we got on with radio. We were approaching landing. We were lined up. We were ready to go. I was bringing it in, and I planted the airplane into the ground. I landed it hard. Uh, so hard, in fact, that the doors popped open. <laughs> and my instructor looked at me, and he said, what was that? There was no flare. You didn't even try. What had happened was in my confidence, I had forgotten the foundations. Slow the airplane down before you hit the ground. It's a foundation. But I had let the foundation slip. And it was bad because I had made that mistake. We got out of the airplane, we stretched, got some air, and went and worked on the foundations and got them down again. There are times in our life where we forget the foundations, we let them slip. And at these times, God calls us, get back on track. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you the Holy Spirit. Get on the foundations, because that's what God wants you to have mastered. Finally, in verses 9 through 12, what I see is that deeper Christ-likeness heavily involves love. Deep Christ-likeness draws on love. Verse 9, the Apostle Paul begins with, now about your love for one another. It's a a strong transition. He's just sort of, in uh, verses 1 through 8, he's laid out some pretty heavy stuff. He's told them, don't fall for the tricks of abandoning the foundations. Don't fall for it. And now he transitions. He says, but concerning your love for one another, concerning your love for one another, Paul had talked about the danger to avoid. Now he wanted to talk about the love to display. The first thing he says in verse 9, we don't need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. Love is something that only comes from God. Love is something that only comes from God. We need to understand this. Because the world tells us what love is and it's wrong. Sometimes even our hearts tell us what love is and it's wrong. Love, real love, only comes from God. 1 John 4.19 says, We love because he first loved us. The only way we can love is because of God's love. In 1 John 4, 7, and 8, it says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Now, about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. But then in verse 10, Paul goes on, and he says that love is an area where all of us can grow. If you think through earlier in the book of 1 Thessalonians, Paul has time and time again praised the Thessalonians for their love. This is something they were good at. This is something they displayed well. Love was something that they probably could have claimed to have some level of mastery over. And in verse 10, Paul says, 
And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. You're doing good at this. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. Grow in your love. Even though you're doing good at this, grow in your love. Even though it's something that you have a good grasp on, grow in your love. Why? How? Because love is entirely otherish. Verses 11 and 12 tell us what it looks like to love. You make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. What does that mean? It means living a life that's not disturbing the life of others. Why? To show love towards others. You should mind your own business. What's that? Don't be frantically constantly looking to micromanage other people's lives. Why? Out of love for them, out of respect for them. It says, and work with your hands, just as we have told you. We have to understand who this is written to. This is written to a pre-industrial age society where virtually everybody works with their hands. This is a command to go work. God's love the love that we are to show to other people means that we're willing to get down and work in order to help other people so that we're not a burden to other people. God's will involves us loving each other, which is going to involve us working. He says, don't be lazy. Don't draw from others, but rather give to others. That's really what's being said here. Why? So that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders. To love others is so outside the normal that if we do it well, people are going to notice and respect us because of our love for others. Ultimately, what it comes down to is that the love that we are to grow in is entirely otherish. It's entirely devoted to others. This is where we need to grow. I'm convinced that we need to grow in our love. Not because we don't love. I think we do a good job of loving. But because God's will for us is to grow more Christ-like. And to grow more Christ-like, I think we need to grow in our love for each other. We need to grow in our love for others. God's calling on us to love deeply. Let's do it. I think in, in flying, landing is probably the hardest part of flying an airplane. But it is only the beginning. See, after you learn to land the airplane, get your pilot's license, the next skill that you learn is what's called the instrument rating. It lets you fly in the clouds. And you might think it's all about reading the instruments. Well, reading the instruments is something anybody who plays a video game can do. It really is easy. What really is hard is talking to all of the other airplanes in air traffic control, working with everybody else. That's what's hard about the instrument rating. That's what's hard about life in the church. The foundations are important. We need to grow in the foundations. We need to review the foundations. But learning to live together in love, to operate in a way that allows everybody to operate well, that's where we should grow. So let me give you an action step. 
Let's take a minute and silently I want you to pray together to yourself. Spend some time right now praying that you will grow in your love for others. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your church. I thank you that your church is a church that loves. But I pray that we would grow in our love for others. Father, help us, any of us who are struggling with the foundations, help us to grow in Christ-likeness, to understand the foundations matter. But also help us to grow in love. I pray that we would become entirely otherish, where the questions we ask, the actions we take, the things we do, would be focused on loving others. That the words we use, the people with whom we speak, would demonstrate love. I pray that our priority as a church would be to show love. I thank you that you have shown us such love, that you sent Jesus to die on the cross. I pray that we would respond in love and grow. In Jesus' name, amen.